These women perspire. And I sweat. Let me play my part. Check to hate. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. You helpless little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to create change. So you, to call you a long time supporter of the foundation is an understatement. You were there moments after she passed. I remember that you guys came in. I remember it coming yeah, it in just pa just after, yeah, like within an just, hour. Yeah. Oh yeah. Within yeah. an hour, and I and I can't imagine what it looked like from your perspective, but. Um, We've come a ways, haven't we? We've come a long way. We've, We've had local events. Way. We've had a documentary that's screened all over the country and is online, and people are watching it all over the world. And now I'm beginning to get these interviews going for this podcast so that we can have something that's ongoing weekly content for people who are survivors, who care about the topic, who maybe know nothing about it and want to be educated. And we talk a lot about people in their most vulnerable moments, some of the darkest things you could ever experience. And I sit here in your karate studio and I see your belts um, up on the wall and remember all of my time here and think how good it felt to feel comfortable in your own skin and how few people know what that feels like. So I wanted to speak with someone and I'll let you introduce yourself because you had been in it for a while when I came into your life in 1995. <laughs> and I never, you have a very formal relationship with the martial arts instructor and you don't sit around and chat and say, so show me your resume. So I don't want to mess it up and I don't want to be disrespectful, but... Ladies and gentlemen, this is my karate instructor of many, many years, Ms. Obermiller, the head of American Karate Studios here in St. Louis Park. And I'll let you give your own intro from there. Okay. Um, hi. It's really <laughs> nice to talk to all of you. Um, the martial arts, I began at the age of 30. So it's almost 36 years that I've been involved in the arts. And you look about 55. Well, I feel that. great. I mean, it, it just, it has given me a life of health healthy choices, great people surrounding me. Um, having my studio has given me the opportunity to pass on what my instructor, Mr. Murata, gave to me. Um, when, I, when I started the martial arts, I was looking for an exercise program, basically. And I tried a couple of things. I went to a place called Spa Petite. And I, <laughs> I need a minute. I know. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> True, true story. I walked in. I had my gray sweatpants on, my gray sweatshirt on, and I walked into a room full of women in Ooh. leotards with leg warmers that matched their headbands. Accessorized and I, to accessorized. the Accessorized. And I walked in and I Just thought, your eyes. I don't belong here. <laughs> I can't imagine you I, as spa Y'all, I wasn't ready for that. We did not prep this interview. <laughs> So I, I made a realization at that moment that these women perspire and I sweat. 
Oh, I like and that. I and I, I love to sweat. And oh, right. I, I'm not I'm not downgrading what they were doing because you know they were doing exercise and it was something that they incorporated into their life. And mm-hmm. everybody has a different journey with their with their health and where they're going. But for me, I just knew it just wasn't me. So I left, <laughs> never went back. And then I was recycling my newspapers. Now remember, this was 30, almost 36 years ago. Nobody was recycling back then. It was a new thing. And I was taking my newspapers down to the little Catholic school down the road from where I lived. And I drove by the Minnetonka studio and I looked up and there was a sign that said 935 kick. And I went, oh, interesting. Always kind of interested in the martial arts. I grew up between two brothers. Um, Women just didn't really do it, especially when I was in high school and in college. It was just not a choice for women. So I went home and I called and Mr. Murata said, well, come down and watch a class. So I drove down the next night and I sat in the lobby and he had a boxing ring set up in the back of his studio. And there were two people in there and they were sparring. They had headgear on, hand pads, feet pads. And I was just enthralled and I was watching this. And when they got done, they took their headgear off and it was two women. And I said, that is what I want to do. So I signed up. I knew after my first class, I was going to do it the rest of my life. Wow. And when I got to green belt, which is a very intermediate level of belts, <laughs> very wet behind the ears yet, I went up to Mr. Murata and I said, I want my own studio. <laughs> and he looked at me. His face. You should have seen his face. He looked at me and he said, come back and talk to me when you're a black belt. Right. And he shut the door. Has anyone ever said that to you? No. Can you I, imagine? No, nobody's ever said that I'd to me. I'd hide in the corner if someone I, said that well, to and you. And Mr. Murata, imagine Mr. Murata. You know, I was scared <laughs> to death to, to tell him what I wanted. And then it was like, come back and talk to me when you're a black belt. Boom, door shut. Good night. And I thought, I'm going to show him. <laughs> so I went through all the rank and I got my black belt. And I went to him and I said, I want my own studio. And he said, okay. So we started driving around. I actually, I, I taught out in Mound for about a year just to kind of handle a studio on my own. It was kind of going down in um, uh, student count and all that. So I brought the student count up and I said, I, you know, I, I'd really like to have a place closer to home. Mm-hmm. And so we drove around and looked for different venues for me to open my first studio. And we found my original spot, which was on Excelsior Boulevard and Beltline Drive. Under the guitar store. Under the, oh. Which brings above, it right back. Above the, above, above the, yeah, we were, I was up above. Oh, Eclipse gu- Music was on the street and I'd go around and I'd around play, back. hang out there and play guitar. Yep. And then it just, you know, if you're seeing this place, you start to wonder about it. And one day I drift in there. It, it was and just, now look, we have Kelly Nicole Foundation and it's I all know, closed it's circle. All ter- I mean, really, life is so interesting how <clears throat> the dots connect, yes. you know, like it's just meant to be. We were meant to know each other. And um, so from there, I was spent probably 12 years at that location. Then I moved to Cedar Lake in Louisiana and St. Louis Park. And I think I was there for 13 years. And now I've been here for I can't even keep track of the math, but I'm never moving again. <laughs> because it's too much work, and I love my I love my spot. Yeah. Um, so good deal. It's a good spot. It's a good geometry. You mm-hmm. know, you can it get is. a head of steam. It's so, got good karma in here, and that's something. You know, I you'll walk into a place, and I immediately there was my Louisiana studio. I walked in, and I there was this bathroom that was just like it looked like, it was horrible. It just had bad <laughs> karma, and I said. 
we, in order for me to do this, we have to rip this out. We have to rip this out because it just feels creepy to me. So Mr. Renfro came and we tore down, tore everything out of there mm-hmm. and put some good juju in the place. And, there you go. Yeah. So. so you said not a lot of women were doing what you were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was a long time period back in the 90s where I was studying under you and uh, training under you. And were you the only female owner of a dojo at that time in Minnesota? There's another woman, Nina Chenault, and she had a studio down by the University of Minnesota, but it was more of a club rather than a, you know, rental. I mean, when you open a business and you're paying rent, it's a different, um, different commitment Mm -hmm. to the art. And most of the time, if a woman was in a studio, they would pair her with a man because, you know, what if somebody came in and wanted to fight for your dojo? You know, I mean, there, there was a day where what? other styles would come in and challenge the people to see, you know, the strongest survivor, whatever. That sounds like a bad kung fu movie. Yeah, it, really, it was. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm just fine on my own. You know, I'm kind of feisty, you know. And the thing is, is I'm small and nobody would ever expect me to be able to do what I can do. And um, so I, I think I was one of the... I want to say only women that ran a studio on her own. <clears throat> well, you just said the exact reason I wanted to interview you. People looking at someone maybe of a smaller frame or someone and saying, let me back Like up. Kelly was. Kelly like was Kelly so was tiny. tiny. Just a tiny little wisp. And, um, and she had this interest in martial arts and started in here just towards the end of her life. Um, was sick as a dog. We didn't have the diagnosis yet. So we were just like, what the heck is happening to her? Hitting it as hard as she could still had a lot of power. And I wanted to, br- to have a conversation with someone who can talk about that counterpoint to victimhood, that being comfortable in your skin and knowing your strength, men and women, all ages. Absolutely. Because there are tons of guys who are a little awkward and they get picked on in school. Oh, I have boys, girls and boys that, you, I mean, it, it's not just a female issue anymore, no. especially in school, the schools nowadays. Um, I really love the opportunity to empower people. You know, you, you don't have to be this big weightlifter to be strong. And, and I'm not t- talking just physical strength. I'm talking, you know, your spirit, your mind, who you are. You know, you, you can, what was this, walk, walk lightly but carry a heavy stick kind of thing. Teddy Roosevelt. You know? <laughs> yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. You know, and I, I really remember that saying because I thought, you know, it's, it's not that you're going to hit people with the stick. It's just that stick empowers who you are. And, mm. and I want my students and myself to walk gently through this earth. You know, our, our world needs more gentleness and more understanding and compassion. And um, I always tell the kids, you know, you can't just, or my students, you can't act one way here and then go out into the world and act differently. Or if you are doing that, then you're not learning the lessons of the arts. You know, mm-hmm. what you learn here, you take into the rest of your life. And I want you to make the world a better place. So <clears throat> I've taught under you a little bit, but obviously you have this wealth of experience. And I want to be able to explain to people what it's like to have someone walk in, bow at the door, and see the transformation six, nine months later, 
you see this person with their shoulders back, their head up, they're confident, and they carry themselves differently. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to me. I mean, I, I love I love teaching the white and gold belt class, the, the beginners, because they're so unsure of themselves, and they're, you know, I can't, I can't, and yes, you can. Yes, you, can. you know what? If you say you can't, you won't be able to, but, you know, the more you try, the better you're going to get. And to watch them all of a sudden become confident, young black belts. I mean, that's my goal. I mean, I have like Ms. Schultz who, um, she was so, so, so shy when she started. And her first day of high school, she's just a petite little thing. She's shorter than I am. And first day of high school, she broke up a fight between two big athletes <laughs> in the hall. She stood between them and broke up this fight, not ever throwing a punch, not ever throwing a kick. She diffused the situation. What rank was she at that point? She's a third degree black belt. Now? Yeah. Do you know when, was she black belt by then? Yeah, yeah, she, she was. was. She, I think she had just gotten her third degree. Well, that so. kind of tells the story in its, in its entirety, right? You've got the distaste for violence and Absolutely. the confidence to... Not that we're recommending this for no. anyone, but oh. I mean, just that, that inner confidence that you get. Right. I mean, if you don't have that confidence, you probably shouldn't step between two people. But um, she knew what she could do. She trusted herself. She was confident with herself. And it's how she presented herself, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of like you know, shoulders back, head up, eyes, looking them in the eyes, and yeah. hands like this. And, you know, right. she, she did the right body language. Mm -hmm is what it was, and we were so proud of her. When we teach self-defense, it's hard to, I know you probably have a lot of the same people come up into you, coming up to you ask, asking the typical non-martial artist questions like, you know, show me how to really get them. If someone comes up, I mean, you kind of take a deep breath, you don't want to offend them, but it's kind of obnoxious. I always say, and I'm curious what you say, because we all have to learn these stock answers to these things, right? I always say, self-defense starts in your head. It's a mentality that this is a line you cannot cross this line. If you do, you will be punished. Mm -hmm. You cannot cross this line. And you have to believe that and own that. And it's not starting with kicks and punches and blocks. It starts with the mentality of what kind of life you deserve. Exactly. And I'd like to give that mentality to survivors and the people listening to this and people who feel Kel's music <clears throat> and carry some of what she had in her. Um, but you can't do it with just a, a quick phrase. I'm hoping this conversation inspires people to find that strength. But how do you usually answer that question? I always say, you know, it, it's easy to throw a punch. It is. It's very easy. It, it hurts to throw a punch, but it's very easy to throw a punch. Um, you have the right for your space, okay? N nobody, nobody has the right to step into that space if you don't want them in there. And you use your words, okay? And use body language, too, where you can step back. You can look them in the eye and just say, I'm more comfortable with you over there. Mm -hmm. You know, it, um, I, I'm not going to teach kids that the way they settle an argument is by violence. It's the very last option. There are, there's usually always another option, and that is making a good choice, first and foremost. Don't put yourself in a situation that is dangerous. You know, if you're in a building and it's dark outside and the elevator opens and there's somebody in that elevator that you're getting the wrong vibes from, don't take the elevator. Mm -hmm. You're not going to offend a stranger. If they're offended, then really a good choice that you made not to go <laughs> in the elevator with yeah. them. You know, when you're walking, kids today, they're plugged in. They've got earbuds in. They've got their hands in their pocket. They're, 
they're walking and they're looking down and I tell them, get the earbuds out, get your head up, be aware of your situations, not just what's in front of you, but what's on the side of you and listen to what's going on in the back of you because that's the key for self-defense. If you hear somebody rushing you from behind, you know, you move, you get out of the way, but if you're mm -hmm. plugged in and you're, you're not uh, aware of things around you, you will, be, you will be a victim. I tell people, victims usually look like victims. You know, they, they pick people that, that want to harm people, look for the person that they will be able to get to. If you look confident, if you're looking them in the eye, Mm -hmm. My husband always says, you always look people in the eye. I go, well, yeah, I do. You know, <laughs> I, I want to see them and I want them to see me. And I want to, you know, if something happens, I'll be able to describe them too. It can be a very dismissive thing, uh, submissive thing to avert the eyes. Absolutely. To avert the gaze, It's right? very, very submissive. And women, I think, especially, were taught that at a very young age. Really? You know, oh, yeah. My generation, possibly. Interesting. You know, where we were just more submissive, you know, and um, I don't fall for that stuff anymore. It, and I don't want, I don't want my students to either. You know, your, your eyes are really an important tool. Mm -hmm. they, they say, they speak so much about you and um, it, you can tell somebody who you are by looking them straight in the eye. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movement. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is proud.